Welcome to Vandal Factory. My name's Natalie Quatermass. I'm Henry Raby. And together we are... Vandal Vandal Factory! Factory. Listen, we talk about arts and activism on the Vandal Factory podcast and sometimes we chat to people and there just isn't space for the full interview on the show! Yeah, we can't shut these artists and activists up sometimes. Yep, yep, yep. Honestly, going on and on. Activism this and boycott that and Um, smash this system and smash that system. Exactly. So we thought maybe there were some listeners who might enjoy hearing the full interview rather than just the 10 minutes that we get to squeeze in to our usual podcasts. This is really exciting. It's our first interview with somebody not from the UK or not based in the UK. Yeah, whoa, <gasps> we're going across the borders. Um, they are based in Dallas, Texas. In America. 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 So exciting. It was Marina Riad, who is an actress, comedian, henna artist, and a beautiful, fantastic person. We were we were desperate to keep going, keep talking to her. So you can find more about Marina on her Instagram. Um, she also produces um, Coffee Comedy. Uh, she's been doing some amazing fundraising for organisations like the Freedom Theatre, which we have also mentioned on previous episodes. If you want to hear more from Palestinian artists, we did a whole big two-parter called the Palestine Solidarity Special available wherever you get your podcasts. It means a great deal to us if any of our listeners get in touch. So please like, subscribe, leave us a comment, tell your friends. And if there's anyone that you think you'd like to hear us interviewing on the podcast, any campaigns that we should be paying attention to, please let us know. We've got a few interviews in the bank with comedians like Andrew O'Neill and Mark Thomas, which we'll be releasing in the new year. In 2024. Which is in like three weeks' time? Yep. Oh boy, you ready? (laughs) Listen, while Natalie deals with the dread of the new year, here is Marina Riyad. Hi Marina, how are you? Good, how are you? Thank you guys so much for having me. Good. Oh, and my dog's just come into the room. (laughs) Perfect timing. Perfect timing. (laughs) Just sorry, just a second. (laughs) If we were to bump into you in the street and you would go... This is the the elevate. I suppose that's an elevator pitch. What um what is the thing that you go right? This is my vibe. This is who I am. This is my art. Take it or leave it. Like you would just like first of all, I wouldn't even say anything because as a comedian, you never tell normal normal uh pedestrians that you're a comedian. Right. You get unsolicited jokes that were not funny. Oh yeah. You don't, Listen, for what I do for a living, I just say I'm an artist or I just don't even sometimes introduce myself because I get the thing where it's like, um, what don't you do after listing like two things? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or it's um, for reference, I'm a henna artist, entrepreneur, so I have my own business in the daytime and I'm an actress all the time, but I'm a comedian at night. (laughs) Time specific roles oh you have to compartmentalize like after certain hours i'm like i'm not even i don't go by certain names and i really build characters in my life which sounds a little bit crazy maybe it is but it's it it works so i'm like marina hussein in the daytime marina riyadh at night and i had one time this job and i was like we need to give me a different last name and they're like okay you're marina harris i was like i'll take it so it's you have to build characters but yes um i 
I usually like, I'm also really bad with names, so I don't even tell people my name. And I kind of curate my elevator pitch depending on who the person is. That's like the best way to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we can relate to that as well. You just have to you have to be able to adapt and do different things in this world, don't you? And um turn your turn your hat to many things. I think not everybody is open to receiving information that you give them all the time. Mm. And I think of life as just improv, which is why it's so damn difficult. Yeah. Improv and life. <laughs> You're just winging it out here and there's no take backs. So yeah, when I'm just walking down the street, which you'll never find me do. Uh, <laughs> I'm in Texas. Nobody walks. We're not walking here. I'm driving. So I oh, think that's also in my head. I imagine horses. When you said I, I don't, <laughs> I don't walk anywhere. I just thought you saddle up a horse. No, no. I'm I've been on a horse and I got off very quickly. I was like, I don't know how you guys do this. <laughs> it's it's also I'm I'm afraid of heights. But anyways, uh, yes, I know. It, do you do you guys walk around a lot in your area? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like like cultural differences. Number one, we don't walk in Texas. Yeah, we, I think smaller. (laughs) We just, everything's a lot closer. I think America's just massive. America's massive. So much about cultural differences. (laughs) Yeah. You're like the first question. I was like, absolutely never. You would never (laughs) count the walking. Um, So America is absolutely massive, but Texas is so massive that it wanted to be its own country. Mm. Like I I do, I have a couple of jokes about Texas and I was like, it's not a state, it's a state of mind. And it's, you really, it it will, you're going to need to spend at least 20 years and maybe you'll start to understand it. And that's where I'm at right now. But it's like over here, if you don't know this, um, I don't know why you would know this, but they have, um, it's this, is it the, I think Alaska is the largest, but Texas is literally more a part of America, I would say, where it's located. It's more central. Uh, so Texas is like the second largest state. And they have every city in the world in, in here. Like there's Paris, Texas. There's Egypt. It's not even a city. There's Egypt, Texas. There's Rome. Uh, there's Italy. There's Palestine, Texas. They got every freaking city in the world and like you don't never you don't you never have to yeah you never have to leave texas it's really funny people go like to paris texas and they have like i'm not gonna even call an eiffel tower i feel like they'll kill me for this and not because i'm muslim um but it's i'm so sorry it's it's, like a mini version of an eiffel tower i mean if you're gonna be disappointed at least don't book three thousand dollars worth of flights if you're just gonna just stand in front of a thing for like three minutes (laughs) and then walk away did you say that you've lived in texas for 20 years Yes, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. I don't and know what I'm doing. <laughs> what uh, What's Palestine, Texas like? So Palestine, Texas, uh, I actually, actually was like, I looked this up recently because I was like, these people are going to be fact checking me. And I was like, Marina, you <laughs> looked it up once before. Let's do it again. And actually, Palestine, Texas is like two degrees separation away from being uh, labeled Palestine, Texas after the real Palestine. So the guy, there's a guy that came here to that area and he called it Palestine, Texas after, uh, what is it called? Um, Palestine, I think Illinois, don't quote me, but one of, I think it's in Chicago. Yeah. And that person named it Palestine after the original Palestine when they were first discovering uh, that region. 
Okay, yeah. so it's it's actually a region, not just a community. That it- no, it's literally a city named Palestine, Texas. Oh, wow. Oh, That's what I mean. Like, they just took every place on earth that you never have to leave Texas. And you're just like, it's so big. You could just drive around the globe. Um, yes. Wow. But there are other, I will say, like, for for people that don't know America, um, there's a lot. But there's there are other cities and metroplexes that are more walkable. You know what I mean? And usually there's also a lot of weed involved. <laughs> <laughs> But in Texas, everybody drives. They love driving. Like the before, I know there's a lot of refugees that come here. People that like, you know, they literally just got off the plane. Um, and I'm like, before you even learn the language, get a driver's license. Like that's wow. how serious it is. Yeah, that's like the first way to get some sort of freedom in Texas. Right. So it is. It is. I would say very restricting if you're here and like you don't even know how to even speak, let alone drive. Mm. You know, you have to get the the tests and stuff. But, Anyways, yes. And um, so what about your your work at the moment? You mentioned, but I think before we started recording, you said you had a gig last night. How did it go? Oh, my God. Um, As the opening act, I'm like, I suck. But that's literally my job. My job is to go up first and I'm hosting. Like that is the hardest job of the show. And uh, but the show itself as a whole went great. Marina, the comedian, is like, damn, girl, you got to quit comedy and go back to henna. And <laughs> but Marina, the host, is like, oh, my God, we had an incredible show last night. You just have to take a hit for it. But it was nice. Yeah, it was really nice. So it's my, my monthly comedy show called Kofia Comedy. And um, I, I, I had the show going before the uh, before the pandemic under a slightly different name. And then when the pandemic, you know, it ended and I was able to open up my first henna studio, um, I was like, I wanted to also work as a space to host comedy shows in there. And it's really intimate. Like you can't, you cannot fit more than like 35 people in this room. Wow, brilliant. Like sitting comfortably. Yeah, it is. I really want it. Well, I love doing comedy in New York and say what you want. There's so many independent shows in New York. It's really such a big cultural hub, um, especially for comedy, which I feel like that those two things kind of go hand in hand. A city that's really diverse is also going to typically have a really diverse comedy scene. Mm. So that's kind of how you see the reflection. Because comedy is like you're really reflecting culture back onto itself. Yeah. So um, I really wanted to recreate that vibe. And it's literally in a henna studio, and in the day, at nighttime, we just shift a lot of things around. Add the chairs. We have a we have the spotlight, the stage, the stool, because you cannot have a comedy show without a stool and a mic and a stage. <laughs> you even get rid of the stage. You don't even use the stool. It's just, but you need a stool. Um, <laughs> but it's nice. Every month we have a different lineup of comedians, um, and the whole concept of the show is to really give comedians more stage time than they would get at a showcase. So that it kind of gets them ready to be at club level. And then also it gives them the most challenging thing ever, which is to perform in front of audiences that a lot of times it's their first time going to a comedy show. Right. Because, yeah, my audiences come from all over. And it's usually I really cater to people that typically are not welcomed or don't feel welcomed at comedy clubs because, you know, alcohol or whatever it is. So it's a non-alcoholic show. Oh, that's that's really um, yeah. that's great. That's really interesting. How how are you drawing those audiences in? Then are you, are, you, are they your customers? Are they people neighbors? Like how how is that crossing threshold? Everything. So I worked in um, a thing called experiential marketing, which most people don't even know what that is. But it's like events marketing. Um, 
I don't know if you guys have that over there. I feel like you guys are too good to have this here. We are a very capitalistic society um, where it's like you go to events and they give you like koozies or t-shirts just to gather your information. Oh, right. seen- yeah, I know. yeah, I know what you mean. But you, you have they a do a lot of... They do a lot of universities with freshers. I can imagine that's a lot of like, hey, yeah. welcome to the city. Come to this bar or this club. Here's uh, some free yes. stuff. Yeah. Yes. But on steroids, like it's a <laughs> multi-million dollar industry where you don't even know you're being marketed to. Like that's actually the whole kind of concept of that marketing where it's literally non-traditional kind of marketing. Yeah. And I did it for like eight, nine years when I was in uh, uni. And that is literally how I approach people. I just go like when I, if I'm ever w- walking, it's on purpose. And I'm going to like downtown where the, I would say more walkable areas. And I, first of all, you never ask, you always tell. It's like first lesson in sales. Don't ask if they want it, ask them what color they want it in. Ah. And I'm like, come to my comedy show. Like, that's it. Like, it's like, they call it barking. That's like part of, you know, uh, the yeah. comedy thing, right? You just like, you're barking and like, um, uh, just soliciting people to come to the show. Um, so I do that, just passing out flyers. And, and I'm honestly always, I can't I can't do anything seriously. So I'm essentially giving them free samples of my jokes. Right. When I'm, when I'm, I'm just roasting them yeah. and tell them to come to my comedy show. Um, Instagram ads, a lot of word of mouth. And because each show is a different show, because it's a different lineup, um, I, we have a lot of repeat customers so a lot of my hand, I mean, literally any person I interact with that entire month, I invite them to the show. And then at the very, maybe like the last week and a half, I do the ads on Facebook and Instagram. And I think that's really kind of that my store is called the house of Henan because I'm Arab and I don't want to leave my house. So I literally, I was like, you go in my store, there's no menus, there's just snacks and me, like you have to talk to a person to get to know what's happening. People always walk around like, what is going on in there? So the same thing with a comedy show. I wanted you to feel like I put on this show for you guys. Like, thank you for coming into my home. Right. I mean, we put on gigs and events and and we use this phrase like DIY. It's like very like homemade and like, you know, we're not, we're doing it on a shoestring, but we're making it happen. And it feels very much yeah. in the living room. Where does that come from, from you? Was it a frustration that there weren't these spaces or is it part of like who you've always been of like just making it yourself, just making it happen with your, with, with, with who you want it to work with? I love creating. Like it is my pure and utter joy. Just thinking of something and like bringing it to life. I think it's like, it's like, this is close to as like magic as you can get. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. and when it came to this comedy show it, it was born and I talked to my my co-producer about this that forced himself to be my co-producer because I was like I don't need help and he's like he just kept showing up and he was like <laughs> you gonna need because <laughs> I don't ask for help and he was like you're gonna need help but I'll just be here in case you need me yeah. I think and, that's how our friendship started like <laughs> 15 years ago that and be like did I just keep showing up <laughs> like, well you may as well make a theater um, show with somebody you may as well fine. <laughs> so I had like some different you know different my, my I'm really big on community so I asked different stores if they wanted to donate something local stores and we had some that were like yeah here's a free massage and free this and free that and you can you know just literally you just I just gave it away after the show um but it's really fun. After each show part, like for me, it's like, let's like the show itself is part one. 
Part two is when we go to Mondo's Pizza. It's a Palestinian-owned halal pizza spot right across the street. And they have appetizers set up for us every show. I don't know why they said yes, but I was like, cool. And we just go there and we eat and we hang out and always have like these disposable cameras. And I make everybody take pictures. I'm like, okay, in two to three weeks, we'll see how these turn out. That's lovely. Yeah, and we have like a little photo album. It's very much like I'm never gonna get married, so this is gonna be my the best I could do. Like this is my work of art. Like this is what a house should look like. You know what I mean? It but feels it feels like you're creating family. Like you're creating. It really is. So many people have met new friends doing this, and that's really what I wanted. It's like first of all, Arabs. We don't we don't just leave, and not even just Arabs. But like generally, like you don't leave. Like when the thing ends, we gotta chit chat for like at least two to three more hours. <laughs> And I was like, well, we can't do it here. So let's go somewhere else. Well, because, you know, you also can't leave hungry. So we have to feed you. you so it was like, Yeah. Yeah. That's literally the best part of the show. A lot of times is like the joke, like the family gathering afterwards. So um, it's really nice. And back to your original question is like, why did I do this? It's because there's nothing. If you don't, if I was like, if I don't do it, no one else will. I feel like so many people created things that way. Right. Mm. Um. I wasn't getting the stage time that I feel like I deserved to be to be honest with you um, for many different reasons. And, you know, I get told that I'm aggressive or whatever it is. Right. And I'm like, I've been around, I've been in Texas for 20 years. I've heard that phrase enough times. It just means that you're different and we don't know what to do with you. Um, and I feel like if I was getting the stage time or even the 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 screen time because I also I'm creating I'm creating my own movies and stuff I would have nothing to motivate me to go out there and create things mm-hmm. you know what I mean so it's really a blessing because now I'm able to give space to other Arabs when they come out of town and I'm hosting a comedy festival Kufia comedy festival this upcoming year I would not have been able to learn the skills to do all of these things if they were accepting me right so it's really trying to give back and be like, you know what, whether you like me or not, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to just build my own world. And um, yeah, I, I don't feel comfortable going to comedy clubs. Like, what, what are you going to do? If I was like, as a Muslim woman, you go there and you're like, okay, you need to buy a two item minimum. And it's usually alcohol and shitty food. And I'm like, what? I don't want either. And that doesn't work for you. you. Know, yeah. And I feel like truly speaking, comedy it has been taken away from the people that need it the most and it's been commercialized and capitalized and i'm sorry monetized and i really don't like that because the people that need to laugh the most are the ones going through it and they're usually financially limited mm. yeah yeah so I, I and so that's why my show is like i really curate them like i get compliments all the time on the lineups they're like how did you get these people like this is such a good lineup and it's because I spend so much time really giving people a show. It's not like, oh, I think I'm funny. I'm going to just put some people on the stage. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, You're thinking holistically about the experience. And um, again, experiential marketing really helps yeah. with that because you think about the customer experience from beginning to end, right? Mm. Like, yeah. what do you what's want gonna, to What's going to make that, that family or that couple leave the house? Why is it going really? to be better because, than them sitting on their own sofa watching TV? Yeah. And I want people to feel like you can, comedy is such 
an interesting experience that it'll make you, it'll make so many things start coming up for you. Like some of the things that I talked about yesterday, I was like, damn, like it's too soon for you guys, I guess, but it's been going on for me for 75 years. So like I could, I could, I've gone through enough that I'm like, oh, like now I could talk about these things. But a lot of people, it's their first time hearing about the occupation and the genocide and they're not comfortable talking about it. Okay. Do you know what I mean? And for me, I'm like cracking jokes. Like it's the most normal thing ever. And that's just part of healing. You know what I mean? And I want them to be able to take that. And again, nobody, nobody walks here. So everybody lives on their own Island to a certain degree. Right. Right. So having places that they can just get out of that and be just hang out. Mm-hmm. You never know what happens. Who you all talk to have always have people stay up for like another hour and a half after the show, just chit chatting over pizza. Yeah. And, and laughter is such a powerful moment it's such a like an electricity that exists in the air that you know the the studies that say that humans laugh more when we're with people so if you're on your own watching a tv show you won't laugh as much as if you were with a group of friends watching the same tv show so it's literally a signifying to each other we we get it we're yes we're just big monkeys aren't we all of us we're just going we understand each other we understand each other once you've been in a room with a group of people and you've all laughed at at least some of the same jokes shared something that was a shared something yeah you've you've done the the evolutionary we're pals yeah you Um, realize you're not the only one and then when you go to a comedy club you don't even have time to explore that and you just go home Yeah, so the socializing afterwards is really important. Yeah, because after each show, like what do comedians do? They just sit down and and talk and like, we're like, oh, how did that go? Because we all just shared an experience, right? And I feel like we owe it to the audience to also give them a space to do that. I find like when, so I I put on poetry gigs, but I want them to be like a party. I, I want people to leave. Um, I want people, the neighbours to complain about the noise at a poetry gig. Yes. Um, and for me, the best bit is it's done and we hit the pub or we've gone to a gig and we're in the car on the way back mm-hmm. and we set the world to rights. That's when my brain has heard all this poetry yes. into comedy or we've seen mm-hmm. a play that's really, and, and when we go see a play that we didn't really click with, we're really down because yeah. we want we want to be fueled and we sort of go, yeah. Yeah, I always describe my shows as like, the the best part of the party which is after everybody that you don't like leaves yeah yeah i'm like let's just cut to the chase yeah let's just cut to the end real quick and let's just bring the best people out and let's just do that part yeah yeah the creme de la creme yeah Yeah, like like like, can we just can we stop pretending that we like these people let's just not invite them Oh, we we got to that stage about seven or eight years ago, I think. Yeah. Oh, it's the best. Oh my God. That's just it's gold. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um to go back to some of your audience's responses last night. So um yes. presumably you've got some people in the room who are on your wavelength in terms of they know about the occupation, they know what's going yeah. on, and they've been going through it for 75 years, as you say. But you've got some who this is new. Um, so how are you finding that, I guess, as a comedian, like different, very different reactions and different contexts that you've got to work with an audience, but also just as a human, as a person in Texan, as in, in as a Palestinian in Texas? 
How are you doing? I am. I think because I've experienced this for my entire existence, like I grew up under occupation. I grew up in a refugee camp in Palestine. Um, I don't like to label it, but specifically in the West Bank, like in Tulkarim. But yeah, Mukhayam Nursham is is specifically the area. And it has been... um, as well as, I mean, not, I would say not as much as Janine refugee camp, um, but it has also received a lot of issues. I mean, in Palestine, like every single person that you know has either died or for sure every person that you know, I'm sorry, killed, martyred, but every, every other person that you know has been to the detention like camps. That's like the most normal part of life, right? Um so for me, I feel like comedy has helped me heal a lot of these things and it's helping me face things because what I tend to do is hide and not have to like talk about it or deal with it. Because I, like I said, not only do people live on islands in America, like they're just in their like very individualistic society, right? And mentally and physically you're isolated. Um, but also I'm in my industry, I'm the only Arab, especially like in Dallas, right? There's there's a there's a very small handful of women that are Palestinian and comedians in the entire country. But in Dallas, I'm the only one. And it's it's difficult because um thank God I'm very kind of confident in where I stand. Like I'm not speaking because I'm asking for validation. I'm speaking because I'm sharing. I really don't need you. Like if you, whatever way people respond, it doesn't affect me. And that's mm-hmm. what it's gotten to. Right. Um, we're like, yeah, I know the, tr- I know the truth. I say my truth. I know the truth of what's happening. I've seen it with my own eyes and I'm not, I, I there's no veil over my eyes in general. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, it is, it's very difficult as an artist when people are not receiving you. Because you're like, that's my job is to make them laugh. This is not a political speech. That's to make them laugh. And I am telling jokes. And I know that they're funny. Like, because I've been in rooms and people are like, oh my God, that's fucking hilarious. But one thing about comedy that people also have to realize is time. You need time, like the same way you need time when you're dating someone. You don't just go in with everything that's heavy on the first date. Right? Yeah. You need time to build up to that. So if I'm not getting as much stage time, it's really hard for me to work on these new jokes and also essentially tease the audience a little bit. There's no foreplay if you're limited on like, they give you like five or 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, so when I'm doing it, my job is to really, I have to like, because I'm an actress, the way I kind of see it is like storytelling. I pick my beginning and end and how I want to get what are the things I want to talk about? So every show I do, every set I do is really curated to what message I want to send to them. Like, what's my story today? Mm-hmm. Right? Because there's too much to cover. And the thing is, because so many of them are not even familiar with what it means to be Muslim in this country or just a woman, because they don't get to hear that many female voices, that there are so many things I have to like freaking cover yeah. before I even get to the good shit. Yeah. You know, like you my have first to explain show. yourself and introduce yourself yeah. over and over again, I imagine. 
Yeah, and it's it's it does it, it's part of my artistry that like some other a lot of comedians like they don't understand that. And one time I've I've tried before going up and not having to do the intro bit, which essentially mm-hmm. is like half of my time. Yeah, and they're like, I did. They weren't with you. I'm like, they didn't even know where I was to find me. Yeah, but yeah. I have to. It's that's something I have to do. I have to set, and that's like the things like it, it's not equal. When I go on stage, you and I have two very different jobs. I have to get them to even see me as a person and as a human being before I even share with them my stories. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Maria, yes. can I can I ask you? Um, do you perform stand up comedy in Arabic as well as English? Uh, I have some bits I could do in Arabic, or like I can make my punchlines in Arabic, or mm-hmm. like I curate the storytelling to be more um it's better for the arabic listeners ears yeah. because you, it, it, the, they they laugh at different things and you have to write differently for arab speakers so i was in palestine in august of 2022 and i did a comedy tour over there um right. and yeah so i i got to travel all over you know nablus ramallah um, all of this and i got to do comedy there so they understand arabic but it's it's like a whole different thing. Um, but yeah, oh, how is that? Tell us. Oh, you've got, to, <laughs> you've got, to you've got a minute and a half left. <laughs> you've got to tell us about your tour. <laughs> in the mean, West I Bank. A and a half. It was incredible. Uh, I was the only female comedian on the tour. Like there was another girl, but anyways, I was the only female comedian on the tour and it was amazing. I got to really share my perspective and I had a woman meet me at a gas station randomly in the middle of the desert and she was like, fuck men. And I was like, yes, you got the message. <laughs> But I will say lastly, like Kafia comedy is like Kafia is really meant to represent community. Like I would love to give more Arabs, you know, no matter where you are, stage time as well and bring your voices into Dallas, Texas. Um, but half of the proceeds always get donated to Janine Refugee, uh, Janine Freedom Theater um, in Janine, Palestine. So that's really, really important to me is giving back and really bringing up a new generation of artists because art does matter and it does make a change. So. I think, may I hope that we've get, got beyond it in in mainstream circles certainly in comedy in this country now but I think maybe five ten years ago more and more female comedians were coming up and and yeah saying what you're saying is that the trope is are women comedians just talk about being a woman and them them coming out going yeah yeah (laughs) exactly what are you talking about they talk about being a human because like you humanize their like their experience is the only experience Yes, exactly. As if being a, a male comedian is neutral, being a white comedian is neutral, and yeah. to be other from that is is to be different. Is to be uh, and now you're forcing it down their throat, and they yes. don't want it. For just which is what men do. Yourself. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, you you won't, you won't I, offend him. Don't worry. Right. <laughs> I'm used to it. Hard done by. Yeah. You know that phrase, hard done by. Smith. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, I get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I live and breathe the Great British Breaking Show, which I have my own problems with that. But that's. Uh, well, that's that's a whole that's a whole tangent. That we've that's been all the with us. Yeah. We're not responsible for the Great British Break Off or uh, what? I, I, I've literally never seen an episode of it. Do you what? Think- have I not shown it to you? Oh, I, 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 you're missing out. Yeah, there's my favorite thing about that show is how the best things are things that are from countries that they colonize, and I'm like, is it even a British baking show at this point? Just change the title, like, yeah, like the United Kingdom, like, yeah, like, just just get rid of the British. The it- only thing I've seen of it is the Uncle Roger video where he critiques it for doing 
uh, Asian week and he like yeah. talks about this is that's not that's not Japanese food. That's not how it works. Stop First doing of that. All, I saw them make Middle uh, I'm going to call it Middle Eastern food. That's freaking disrespectful, like Mena food. Right. right. And they made like mamul and all of these things. And I was like that. I would never eat that. That wouldn't, we would never accept that as our own. But the one thing that they did, and I, I find it so fascinating. Have you, you guys know um, Jaffa cakes, right? I, I don't know if it originated in Palestine, but it, it's pronounced Yaffa. Jaffa, like the J yes. is a Y. So Yaffa is uh, a major, 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 um, not only cultural hub, but it was also a, a trade hub of Palestine. And they were known for their oranges. I mean, before 48, they were the most... Like they shipped, I believe, the most amount of oranges to the rest of the world. Like they were known for their oranges. So that is, I know when I looked at the website for the company, uh, Jaffa Cakes, they they briefly mentioned it, like just like a little snippet and you have to go hunt for it. But yeah, the guy was inspired by the Jaffa oranges to make this, mm. this, this biscuit. But what's crazy is they never mention it. They keep calling Jaffa Cakes and people don't, don't know. Like, yeah, it's, it's literally called yeah. Jaffa because of the oranges like that's how well known that they are and when it comes to the occupation they ruined that like they ruined so many olive groves like that was people's like livelihood and now it's no longer known as that and that's insane like that they literally butchered the land and i was like i my dream is to have a yaffa orange because it's like that well that well known but yeah and they had it on the show and i was like it's called yaffa but okay what we ask all our guests is if there is a song you would like us to play um, after this chat. I love this, uh, the band called Dam. Okay, Dam is a Palestinian band. It's like two two guys, I believe they're brothers, but uh, and, a, and, a, and another female. Uh, I would say it's like a hip hop rap kind of group. Uh, very, very incredible. And they, they're, they are activists using their voice with music. And um, I was in Miss Arab USA and I did comedy as my talent. Um, and I use their song as my intro song, and it's called Enta Josek Yama, which is like, when are we going to marry you off? But mother of the buddy. So I love that song. I love the band themselves. And Dem is like, it's like, it has like two meanings in Arabic, which like Dem is like always, and Dem also means blood. So it's. Oh, nice. I like didn't a, know that. I, That's cool. Nice one. No, we, we, I nodded furiously because um, that ties in beautifully. The, the podcast we've just released as a. Uh, yeah. Um, I'll give it a shout out now if anyone hasn't heard it. The the latest yeah. Palestine Solidarity podcast we released. Um, yes. Do we play? Is it a damn song or someone yeah. mentions so it? Tamir Nafar, who was in Dam, um, we reached out to him and he said, "I'll oh, play the beat never goes off." So, um, so with that, that's featured. But yeah. that's not that he was in Dam. Um, yeah. If it, amazing t shirt. Yeah. It's wow, great. Is it seven? Think yes we played it oh yeah, we yeah. played them all we've got them all um oh, if, you're in, if you're in the uk please look us up we'd love yeah. to uh, if, help you with a gig or just hang out thank you definitely. we'll yeah. just get some tea and have some jaffa cakes yes. <laughs> yes we can do that we can do that um okay. have a lovely day thank you so much thank yeah. you that was amazing thank you so much for having me thank you thank you all right take care bye, bye.
ديك بدق على الباب وانا تحت الحاف سمع البلكون جيرتي دبري عريس احصائيات اغلب الازواج بتنام شو نفس الفراش ومي على الايفون سيري زبطي عريس قولوا لابن الحلال يستنى لانه العالم عم بيستناني بلاقي شريكي بعد ما لاقي حالي حاليا صحت العزبيه صباح الدهريه المرخيه انت مجوزك